man, that video just gets me ready to go to war. <laughs> Are you ready to go to war? Uh-oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. Are you ready to go to war? Because we're at war. We're at war. That's the reality that we're going to look at today as we continue in this series. If you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you, and I think it's page 817 in this Bible. It's near the back, Ephesians chapter 6. Well, I remember uh, very distinctly in the mid-1990s walking through the mall, and uh, many times I'd be walking through the mall, and there would be somebody stopped standing in the middle of the mall, right in the middle of the walkway, and staring into a store like this. And usually it would be the store Deck the Walls. Anybody remember Deck the Walls? No, I'm the oldest person in the room. I find that hard to believe. Uh, they'd be staring into the store, deck the walls, and they'd be looking at, does anybody know what they're looking at? 3D pictures, the magic eye posters. Do you remember those, the magic eye? Well, if you don't remember the magic eye, a magic eye was a poster like, kind of like this one. It was printed with a repeating pattern and every row or every column would be just a little bit different. And if you were able to focus your eyes just right, then eventually an, a 3D image would pop out at you and you would be able to see it. And everybody's looking at these now. Does anybody see an image in this poster? I had a hard time seeing them on these screens. Shark. Yeah, somebody saw it. It's a shark. This one's a shark. Yeah, I have to leave it up there the whole time. I don't think so. Uh, for you, hon, I usually would, but that was my wife asking for that. So yeah, so you, you look at them, you focus a little bit funny. So I'll try another one. I picked this one specifically for Valentine's Day. Um, so somebody's got the magic eye to see the eye. Uh, <laughs> it says, I love you on it. So I picked that out for you guys because I love you guys, uh, specifically for Valentine's Day. Um, but these really took over pop culture for a while, these magic eye books and posters. If you're a, if you're a Seinfeld fan, any Seinfeld fans in the room? If you're a Seinfeld fan, you might remember one episode where Elaine's boss uh, gets so hung up trying to see a spaceship in the poster that he forgets about the corporate mer merger he's supposed to be overseeing, right? And the whole thing falls apart. Or if you're a Friends fan, and any fans of Friends, if you're a Friends fan, uh, there's one episode where Ross can't see the Statue of Liberty in the poster, right? I think that's the one where Joey is Al Pacino's butt double in a movie, if you remember <laughs> that one. Can I say butt double in church? I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I'm sorry. Um, but, but they were really a, an important part of pop culture. Now, the trick to seeing a magic eye poster, according to the company who makes these, is to look through the image, like you're trying to look behind the image. You look through it, and then you pull your eyes back until you can see the whole thing. In other words, what you need to do is you have to train your eye to see things differently. Right? The trick is to be able to see not only what is there, but what is not there as well. And it reminds us that there's often more than meets the eye, right? All right, with that in mind, you want to try one more? Here, let's go with one more. This is one more. No, wait, that's not a magic. Never mind. Oh, that's horrible. That's every bit as horrible as people said it was. If you weren't here last week, uh, Jerry used this picture to show us what angels don't look like. Uh, and they don't look like that. Take that down. That's awful. Hey, uh, we're continuing, as Jerry said, in our series called Unseen War. It's all about exploring the realm of the unseen supernatural forces that are at work all around us. You know, at first glance, it's easy to assume that what we see and what we hear and what we feel is all there is. Those things that we can see and touch and, and hear, those are the things that are obvious to our eyes and to our senses. But many of us have experienced in our reality, and Scripture is pretty clear that there are unseen forces at work all around us, that there are unseen forces of good and unseen forces of evil all around us. And every day, there is a war being fought 
between these two unseen forces. And some days it goes on completely without our knowing. And then other days we can be sucked in to the unseen war. And if we're going to get caught up in the middle of these battles, uh, and we hope to win the unseen war, which I want to win if I'm going to be in an unseen war. I want to win. I hope you want to win. If we're going to win, well, we have to train our eyes to see things a little differently. And so Jerry acknowledged last week that this topic may seem a little bit kooky to some people, might seem a little stranger things to you if you're uh, not familiar with the reality. But the reality, in fact, the reality of 21st century church in America and especially in an educated, sophisticated place like Hamilton County is there are probably a lot of you even here in this room that don't believe in a devil or in evil spirits or in demons, right? In fact, a Gallup poll from a couple of years ago said that while 79% of Americans believe in God, only 61% of Americans believe in a devil or in demons, in the enemy. And so maybe you're wondering, hey, well, if there is a devil, like, who is he? How did he get there? Did God create him? Why does God let him have power? Why is he here? Well, Scripture, uh, from beginning to end, has an enemy present. Satan is present from Scripture. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, we see him uh, tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. In uh, 1 Chronicles 21, he's tempting King David. In uh, Matthew 4, he's tempting Jesus. Hey, do you notice a theme about Satan? Yeah, he's always tempting God's people. In fact, one of the nicknames for Satan in Scripture is, is the great tempter, right? And then at the end, in Revelation 12, we see him hurled from heaven. Uh, Job 1 says that Satan was a created spirit, that he was uh, like the angels that we talked about last week. So if he was created like an angel and God didn't make anything bad or evil, then how did this happen? Like, how did we get this enemy? Well, at some point in the past, and we don't know when, but sometime before Genesis 3, Satan rebelled. And if you want further reading this week, I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture that you can uh, read on your own this week that'll give you some more indication of where uh, Satan came from. Uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And in particular, I'm gonna give you a little bit of what the Ezekiel passage says about Satan. Ezekiel 28, 12 says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. He was to guard the glory of God. Uh, For so I ordained you. Verse 15, you are blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. But we don't, know, we don't know when, but according to Revelation 12, Satan and one-third of the angelic beings were cast into earth as demons. And Satan and these demons continue to make war on the planet. Now, maybe you hear this and you still don't believe it. You don't believe in devil. You don't believe in demons, and that's fine. We're all entitled to our opinion. But what I realized many years ago was when I started following Jesus was that my opinion on these things didn't really matter. I wanted to know what Jesus had to say about them. Because if I'm going to follow a guy that was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and went to the cross to die on my behalf and then was raised from the dead, well, what that guy has to say means a lot more than what I kind of think, right? And so let's look at what Jesus has to say about demons. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling his disciples the parable of the sower. He's talking about how the word of God is like seed that we scatter. 
And in Matthew 13, he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So Jesus reminds us that the evil one was active in trying to keep people from holding on to the word of God, that he's actively working to keep people from finding their way back to God. And then in Matthew chapter 5, another time, Jesus told them, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus says that Satan can influence people. He can influence the decisions we make, and he can even influence the words that we say. And then finally, in John 17, I say finally because I only have three examples. There are many more in Scripture. But in John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for us. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them, not that you, God, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus says we need protection from the evil one, and he himself prays for our protection from Satan. So Jesus believed there is an evil presence who is actively working against God and God's purpose and God's people. And if Jesus is who he says he is, and his word is true, his word is good, then what we can only conclude is that we have a very real enemy in Satan who is actively working against us and wants to engage us in a spiritual battle. So whether we realize it or not, whether we're willing to admit it or not, we are in an unseen war. But it's also important to note that not everything is a spiritual battle. That's not what I'm saying. Jerry mentioned this last week. We don't want to give the enemy too much credit, right? And so sometimes you just hit your toe on the doorframe. I mean, sometimes you just get a flat tire and it's not the enemy trying to keep you from your connection group, from connecting with people. Sometimes your kid just strikes out. Maybe he needs more batting practice, right? It's not always the enemy. Uh, Then other times the battles we face are uh, consequences from our own decisions, our own poor life choices or laziness. Yet I think that often many things that we don't recognize as spiritual warfare is actually a spiritual battle. Things like needless and unnecessary worry over things you can't control. That's likely a spiritual battle. The Bible has nothing good to say about worry. Uh, The anger and mistrust that threatens to tear apart a marriage is likely a spiritual battle. Institutionalized discrimination, prejudice, bias, and racism is undoubtedly a spiritual battle. If the enemy can't break us down individually, he could do no better than to drive a wedge between us and tear us apart. So this is a real balancing act. It takes real discernment to understand which battles are spiritual and which ones are simply accidents or the results of decisions we've made. So how can you tell? Well, you need to train your eyes to see differently. Because spiritual warfare doesn't always look like we think it will. It's not always somebody's head spinning around, throwing up green stuff all over the walls, right? In fact, uh, Scripture says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so if you think you're good enough that you could pick out your enemy when he's trying to attack you, I think you're wrong. He'll look much more like an angel of light than an enemy. But Scripture also says he's on the hunt. 1 Peter 5 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A roaring lion. Now, who do lions attack? If you ever watched Wild Kingdom or any nature videos, you know they don't go for the strongest, most prepared animals in the herd, right? They always look for that one antelope or that one wildebeest that's limping behind the rest of them, right? The one that's, that's hurt, the one that's weak, the one that's tired, the one that's hungry. I mean, 
the enemy tempted Jesus when he was tired and hungry. He went after even the strongest one when he was weak. So let me ask you this. Where are you weak? What situations make you drop your guard? What areas of your life are vulnerable to a spiritual attack? What areas of your life have you intentionally kept God out of? You said you're not allowed in this area. You know, maybe it's, it's lust and you've got a go-to website you know, or a go-to place to meet those people. Or um, you've got that one person at work that when he wears that outfit or when she wears that dress and she just looks so good or, ooh, and, and you know what? And I'm just looking and nobody's gonna notice. Nobody's, good, nobody's hurt, but you're weak. Or maybe it's anger and you're really nice to people in public. But when you get alone with your wife, you get alone with your husband, you get alone with your kids, just you've got a hair trigger. And just one little thing can make you just blow up. You're weak. Or maybe it's greed and nobody knows you've got access to that one little pool of money at work and it's so big and the company's so big and nobody's gonna notice and you're really struggling to get by. And besides, I mean, you work hard. You deserve it, right? And nobody will ever know if anything happened to that you're weak. Or maybe it's gossip. You just love being at the center of information and you love people come to you to get the latest news. And if you don't have, you love that because if you didn't have that news, then maybe people wouldn't like you so much anyway. And if you didn't know all those things, people wouldn't come to you and talk to you. And um, besides, it's not really gossip if it's true, right? But you're weak. Or maybe it's food. Maybe in public you eat really healthy and you only Instagram uh, pictures of your healthy food. And uh, when you're with your friends, it's a salad and a water. But man, when you get alone at night, it's hitting the drive through late at night. You're raiding the refrigerator. You're weak. If you really want to win at spiritual warfare, you need to understand where you're weak. In fact, I would say, if you want to win the unseen war, here's what you need to be able to answer. If I were Satan, I would blank. Knowing what you know about you, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, knowing where your vulnerable places are, if you were your enemy, where would you go after you? And then get ready because that's probably where it's coming from. Guys, listen to me. Listen to what I'm gonna say to you. Spiritual warfare is real. There are spiritual battlefields all around us. These battles are sometimes so subtle, we don't even recognize them as spiritual battles. But when we do open our eyes, when we train our eyes to see differently, what do we do when we recognize that we're in the middle of a spiritual war? Well, the worst thing that we can do is nothing. Just let it pass. You know, hope that it's going to go away or or retreat and hide. You know, your enemy is powerful. Now, He's not all powerful, all right? We, we serve a powerful God that is able to defeat the enemy. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's not all powerful, but your enemy is powerful and he's, not, he's been fighting for thousands of years or more. He's not gonna go away just because you turn the other way. In fact, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis writes of uh, an, a veteran demon named Uncle Screwtape. Uncle Screwtape is writing letters uh, to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a novice demon trying to learn how to, um, how to possess and haunt people on earth. And uh, in one of his letters to young Wormwood, Uncle Screwtape writes this. He says, for as things are, your man, the one that he's trying to possess, your man has now discovered the dangerous truth that these attacks don't last forever. 
Consequently, you cannot use again what is, after all, our best weapon, the belief of ignorant humans that there is no hope of getting rid of us except by yielding. You know, so often when we're in these battles, we think if I just give in, it'll go away. Well, fortunately for us, we have wisdom from Scripture. And the Apostle Paul was a great veteran at fighting spiritual battles. We see it often in his story. And time and time again, Paul comes up victorious over the enemy. And he captures the essence of how we're supposed to fight in this letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6 in particular. Um, we're going to see that in this passage is that Paul knows how to fight these spiritual battles. And he knows that we already have everything that we need, not just to survive them, but to win. And so if you've got your Bibles turned there, I'm going to start with Ephesians 6.10. Uh, I'm going to kind of rush through this because Jerry read this passage last week and spent some time on it. And so if you missed that, I really encourage you to go check out the podcast on the app or on our website, genesischurch.me. But uh, Ephesians 6.10, he says, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is so important, guys. Your battle is not against your wife or your husband. Your kids are not the enemy. Your parents are not the enemy. They may seem like it, but they're not the enemy. Paul says our battle is, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And then Paul is going to go on and tell us about the full armor of God piece by piece. And if you grab message notes on the way in, we did something a little different today. We've got the drawing of the soldier on there with all of the pieces that you can label as we go along. So um, let's look at this piece by piece. Ephesians six fourteen. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, what does a belt have to do with armor? They didn't wear pants in those days. Uh, so why do we need a belt? Well, uh, clothing in the first century was pretty loose and flowy. And so you need to be able to contain that, right? You need to be able to contain your tunic so the belt would keep the tunic from flapping in the breeze, but it would also hold the sword of the soldier. And it's not just a belt, it's the belt of truth because what's the opposite of truth? Lies. Who's the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. It's one of the names that uh, Scripture has for him. He's the father of lies. Over and over again in Scripture, we read, Satan is the father of lies. He barrages us with lies. He tried to convince you that God is not who he says he is, that you are not who God says you are. Paul is saying our first line of defense in the spiritual battle is to be equipped with the truth. And then he goes on, uh, 6.14, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate protects the vital organs in particular, it protects the heart. Sometimes we might be tempted to doubt God's love for us, to doubt uh, that he made us right with God. But scripture tells us that when Jesus died for us, he made us right with God. And in doing so, he gave us the righteousness of Jesus, right? The breastplate of righteousness reminds us that in our heart, we have the righteousness of Jesus. It's not our righteousness, it's his that we have. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. That is our identity, if we have accepted Christ, if we've decided to follow him with our lives, the breastplate protects us from accusations that we are anything other than fully and wholly loved. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
warrior's shoes were very important. I mean, a warrior would be uh, at much risk if he went into battle wearing flip-flops, right? Or Crocs. I mean, those things have all the holes in them. The arrows could just get through and pierce their feet, right? You need good shoes. You need solid shoes when you're going to fight the war. Uh, um, they also allow you to travel long distances, you know, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. When we have the gospel of peace, we might be asked to travel long distances to share that with somebody. We've got to be ready. Our feet have to be ready, right? The other thing is that a warrior's shoes would often have long spikes on the bottom to allow them to dig in. Paul says in verse 13 that we should stand firm, right? Well, when you have these spikes, kind of like a cross-country spikes or a golf spike, it allows you to kind of uh, fasten your feet in the ground so that you're not going to be knocked over by somebody who comes by you. You don't want to fall over in battle. You, you fall on your face, you're dead, right? So we need to be able to stand firm. So the shoes fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace allows us to do that. Verse 16, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, every other piece of armor we're told to put on, but the shield we're supposed to take up. We take up the shield of faith. Now, in those days, most warriors wouldn't have had metal shields. They would have had probably wooden shields wrapped in leather and then soaked in water before battle. And they were soaked in water so that they could repel flaming arrows. When the enemy would shoot arrows, they would often set the tip on fire and shoot arrows to send them over to destroy people or to destroy equipment. You know, and so the, the shield of faith helps protect us from the flaming arrows of the enemy. Soldiers would often march in formation across, at sometimes linking arms, holding their shield to, to form a wall that would protect against flaming arrows. We take up faith in Jesus to protect us from Satan's arrows. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You wouldn't go to war without protecting your head. So the helmet of salvation reminds us that we were once in need of rescue and that God's the one who did the rescuing, not us. Sometimes we can get a head that's too big because we think we're good. You know what? I'm good on my own. I don't really need rescuing or, or you no, know, it wasn't that big of a deal that God saved us. We can forget that. And the helmet of salvation kind of also helps to keep our head in check, reminds us that he's the one that did the rescuing. And then finally, there's the sword of the spirit. This is the word of God. It's, it's the Bible. Each time we open the word, every, every time we read it, we pray it, we study it, when we meditate on it, we declare war on an enemy who wants nothing more than to divide and destroy us. Now, what you notice is that in the entire armor, the sword is the only offensive weapon we have. All the other armor is built just to help us stand our ground, right? To stand ground that Jesus has already won. But the sword has allowed us to attack the enemy. Uh, and when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, this was the weapon that he used. We see that. He used the word of God to fight back against Satan. This is our primary offensive weapon in this fight. Now, something else to notice here is that the entire armor of God is forward-facing, right? If you think about it, you've got the breastplate, you've got the shield, you've got the sword. There's nothing behind us. Why is that? Well, because we're never told to flee from our enemy. We're told to flee from sexual sin, yes. We're told to flee temptation, absolutely. But we're never told to flee or run away from these battles. We are always instructed to resist, to fight, and to stand firm. So as we close today, I'm going to give you three ways that we can quick, I can quickly show you three ways we can stand firm in these spiritual battles. All right, number one is this. We want to stand firm in truth. We'll stand firm in truth because the truth is that God has already won this victory. 
we have the benefit of already knowing the end of the story if we've read the Bible, and we know that the fight isn't even close. In fact, the entire spiritual war at the end of time takes exactly one verse. If you look at Revelation 20.10, it says that the devil who deceived him and his legions were thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it, the end, war over. One verse. (laughs) That's the kind of victory we have. Is it any wonder the demons tremble at his name? They know the end of the story. Look, evil doesn't have any power except what we give it. Our enemy doesn't have any power except what we give him. Daily, we need to ground ourselves in the truth of God in all that we do. Clinging to this truth gives us the power and the confidence to resist the schemes and the attacks of the evil one. This is a spiritual battle, and we need to be rooted and living in the truth of who God is and who he says we are. So we stand firm in truth. The second way we stand firm is we stand firm in prayer. Look at how Paul concludes uh, this, ver- or this part of Ephesians 6. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Paul reminds us that the way to remain alert, the way to train our eyes to see differently in these spiritual battles is to pray. And not just one kind of prayer, but all kinds of prayers. Look, I don't know about you, but sometimes my prayers start to sound the same. I have one kind of go-to prayer, right? Paul says, pray all kinds of prayers for all of God's people. And when we pray, we not only resist evil, we become more alert to the ways that evil is trying to attack us. Prayer is the way to opening our eyes to see these unseen battles all around us. So we stand firm in truth. We stand firm in prayer. And the third way we stand firm is we stand firm together. Stand firm together. Hey, one of the things that I found out this week about the armor that I think this is so beautiful. It's such a great analogy. Is that the armor in the first century was so big and so bulky that no one could put it on by himself. Do you know who had to put on a soldier's armor? Other soldiers. It took other people fighting alongside this person to, to, armor the, to armor this person, to put on the armor. I love this detail because it reminds us that we need each other in this battle. Every day, we have to help one another suit up and stand firm, stand together shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, to ward off the enemy. That's why we're so adamant about connection groups at Genesis. It's not because we want to drive up our numbers and make it look like we've got it all together by how many people are in connections group, get connection groups. It's because we know this is an important part of your spiritual growth, that you're not going to get everything you need on a Sunday, but you need to be in a community of people who are walking the same walk that you are, fighting the same battles that you are. And that's why we do connection groups. That's why um, we do Intro to Genesis every six weeks. We're doing it today. We'll do it again in another six weeks. It's because we know people are constantly walking in the doors here and we want to help them get connected. You need to be connected and surround yourselves with others fighting the same battle. It's why we're doing the Multiply Workshop again coming up at the end of February. In fact, next Saturday on uh, February 24th, we're doing the Multiply Workshop again here at the Carmel Campus. And if you missed that in December or you think you need a refresher, I want to encourage you to sign up for that by tomorrow. Um, 
it's next Saturday, but we need you to sign up by tomorrow, 8.30 to noon next Saturday, because it's, uh, it's basic training for kingdom workers and disciple makers. If you uh, want to be out in your community, out in your workplace, out in your school, making disciples, this will give you all the tools you need, simple tools to help tell your story and tell God's story. And we're gonna do that together. We study these things together because we need to stand firm together. You know, as Christ followers, we need to be alert. You see, that's a recurring theme in Paul's writing. We need to be alert but we don't need to be afraid. Because of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid. I think Paul said it best when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did you get that? The weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds, not weaken strongholds, not delay strongholds, not uh, knock them down so that they can be rebuilt again. Divine power to demolish strongholds. That's the victory we have in Jesus. That's the conclusion of this unseen battle. While, While we may not see it with our eyes, we can know in our hearts that God has won the war. And so what we're going to do as we close today, and this is going to be um, really uncomfortable for some of you, and I apologize in advance, but you still have to do it, um, is if you're able, I would love for you to stand right now. We're going we're gonna to pray together, but we're going to pray together. And we're going um, to pretend we're back in fifth grade getting ready to play Red Rover. And we're going to link arms. So everybody who's outside, we're going to move in. I know it's really uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh my gosh. And there's a lot of people in the room and I don't know most of them. And this is going to get really uncomfortable. So move in. I want you guys to link arms together. And what we're going to do is we're going to stand firm together and we're going to pray. I'm going to come down here. I hope that my microphone stays good. Uh, And we're going to pray together as we get ready to sing and worship. Hey, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we cling to your word today that the weapons that we fight with have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds, God, that when we, we know, when we uh, try to fight these battles on our own, that we'll sometimes push a stronghold out of the way for a while, but it'll come back. Uh, We'll sometimes uh, weaken a stronghold that is on our lives. But God, we know you have divine power. When we pray to you, when we read your word, we have divine power to demolish strongholds in our lives. God, we pray that you would work in our hearts now as we stand together, linked arm in arm as a community of people, as a a body of believers uh, to fight this battle with your word, uh, with your power at our side. God, would you demolish the strongholds in our life, in our church collectively and in our lives individually? God, we pray to you right now to demolish the stronghold of fear in our lives. God, would you demolish any worry or anxiety that we have over anything that might happen or might not happen? God, I pray to you to demolish the stronghold of lust in our church, men and women in this church that struggle with lust in affairs, in pornography. God, would you demolish that stronghold? Lord, would you demolish the stronghold of greed? Help us to see that you've given us everything that we need and we don't need to be greedy for things, for material possessions. God, we pray that you would demolish the stronghold of gossip. God, would you demolish uh, the stronghold of fear, of 
of weakness, of, of laziness, of gluttony. Lord, whatever strongholds have a hold of our heart, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would demolish them right now. We're standing together. We're linked arm in arm. We're coming to you together. We're standing firm and asking for these things. We know you are the great I am. You have the power to demolish strongholds. We're asking for your power in our lives and in our church. We pray these things in Jesus' name.